Welcome back to Share the Load. I'm Mia Schachter, and today I'm talking to my friend Minachi, who can introduce herself. Hello, hello. My name is Minachi. I use she, her pronouns. I do a variety of different things in my life, one of which is eating a lot of chips, predominantly Doritos. I also teach nonviolent communication with a decolonial lens, and I facilitate family constellation therapy, which is a form of somatic and intergenerational healing. And I'm happy to be here. Um, I feel it's really important to mention that my autocorrect on my phone has learned that you love Doritos and randomly corrects words to Doritos when I'm texting you. I don't know how I learned that, but it did. I really thought you were going to say that it is important for people to know that I left a bag of Doritos at your place <laughs> when I was... <laughs> well, that was the other, the other one. Yeah. I felt really bad throwing them away. I was like, she needs these. I know. <laughs> oh, well. Um. Well, okay, so I wanted to, well, we we talked about this article that came out just last week um, about the two actors who were underage um, at the time of filming Romeo and Juliet, and um, that they are now in their 70s, I believe, and suing Paramount for what happened. Um, and... I don't think we need to go too much into that specific thing or if there's anything that you want to share, of course, please do. But I think more importantly, um, this article feels like uh, an entry point into talking about how learning about consent can change the shape of memories and experiences. So I'd love to hear you expand on that. Yeah, I think... With regards to what's happening in terms of, I remember seeing that movie. I remember seeing that movie in, I think, middle school. My ninth grade was at middle school. So I think technically it was like, you know what I mean? So, but I was still in the middle school. Um, and it had an impression on me then. And... I don't know, just hearing about it now was so, I I don't have words to talk about. I, yeah, and I think this is like one of the interesting things that's, um, right, in order to even have consent, we have to have words to talk about the experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, on because I heard about it on NPR and they did like a, a clip of an interview that those two performers had given at the time about, about the nude scene that they had done. And there was a lot of like hesitation or like pausing in their voices. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know that I have like, obviously I'm also like fumbling for things because I think some of the things that I have been thinking about, had been thinking about is even just the way our memories change. My own personal memories have changed around interactions I've had, experiences I've had, maybe even sometimes experiences that I enjoyed or thought I enjoyed at the time, but then looking back have felt like, you know, that was gross or something was off with that, or I don't think I liked that. But then how do you navigate um, 
navigate those, especially if it's like an ongoing relationship or a relationship that's still present. Right, right. Well, I think what I can, I mean, I can speak to my own experience with this. I can also speak to, you know, having worked with a lot of people in in the role of teaching them about consent and the way that I've seen patterns arise in that way. Um, I have had a number of experiences sort of take on new shape or get recategorized in a way as I've begun to understand the dynamics at play. Often it comes in the form of like a light bulb moment of like, oh, that's why that didn't feel good. Or that's what that feeling meant. Or, um, oh, that's why that was so confusing. You know, like when someone has like tried to, um, you know, I think one that comes up a lot is this thing that has to do with the wheel of consent, where like someone is, um, you know, doesn't know how to take with integrity. And so they pretend that they're serving. Um, so the example of that that Betty Martin uses is um, like when you want to feel someone up, but you offer them a massage instead. Um, so yeah, like things like that, where I've started to be able to go, oh yeah, like either I was doing that or someone else was doing that. And that's why I didn't get my needs met. Or that's why I've still felt that there was a lack of clarity because I wasn't being fully upfront with my desires or something like that. Um, and this is also where I think a lot of grief comes up in consent work because people have to go through this massive um, like mourning period around recognizing the ways that they've crossed their own boundaries or ways that they've, you know, and this language is tricky too, but like let other people cross their boundaries. Um, and I think that that can take on many shapes um, or, you know, not said no, not spoken up in the moment about discomfort or not feeling good. Um, maybe I'll get Brooke on here to talk about grief. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It brings up like some of the things <clears throat> I, so it's okay if we just talk about whatever, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I remember, <laughs> we're going to go into sex because there's some interesting things happening there. Um, I remember when I was masturbating one time and I crossed my own boundaries because I was using a vibrator that I didn't understand all the settings yet. And so I remember I you just, told me about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so then I wound up um, experiencing an orgasm uh, through like clitoral stimulation and penetration or whatever, but it wasn't the way that I wanted it, but it happened because I couldn't press the buttons or change them. <laughs> fast right it was I was like I didn't want it to happen like that mm -hmm. and I I had to go through like a um a, a mini process like I called it like a mini TJ process with myself of mm -hmm. like taking accountability offering an apology also creating space for understanding of like I didn't okay so the learning lesson for me is like I'll play with the tools beforehand and really understand what all the buttons do before I insert them or use them on myself um, and recently I've been navigating such an interesting dynamic because, oh, I to, yeah, okay. I had to, I had to check in, mm -hmm. um, at present, um, 
my pussy, my vagina really doesn't want like any type of interaction. Um, but I am like engaging in we're, we are engaging in daily conversation mm-hmm. um, <laughs> through journaling, which I'm really mm-hmm. loving. We have a dialogue back and forth through journaling. Um, and when this kind of like, I don't know what to call it, but like when my body was like, no more, please. Thank you. Like not from anybody, not even you. Um, I talked to a couple of my practitioner people. I was like, what's going on? And my tarot reader was like, it's time for some repair work mm-hmm. and you get to begin again and cultivate a relationship. And um, so, yeah, this piece around when we are the ones who are crossing our own boundaries of consent um, is like deep, fascinating, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's reminding me of another conversation that we had about um, how consent belongs in the realm of desire, but not in the realm of boundaries. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if you, if you're open to sharing, like when you had that moment of clarity, that would be really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for folks who are listening, um, I like kink and I have a kink partner. Um, and so I think in our, in, in my conversation with my partner, well, I'll call my kink partner. I have like a romantic partner and then my kink partner and my kink partner and I are strictly for kink. And there's a lot of like deep platonic love there, but we don't dip into other categories. Um, and so we were navigating, negotiating, talking about different things. And I set a boundary and what wound up happening was that, um, they got really excited by my boundary. They like it when people set clear and firm boundaries and it's a little bit erotic for them. And they expressed to me, I consent to that, you know, and they were kind of like excited and energized and something felt really off. And I was like, later I went and sat and thought about it. And I was like, my boundary is not something that you consent to. My boundary is that like you participated in or not. And if you don't participate in it, I will leave. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that you actually really get to like, your opinion doesn't get to weigh in on my boundary per se. Right. Like, um, and that was, yeah, when I had this light bulb of like consent belongs in the realm of desire where we're meeting, meeting each other's desires and exploring where we can connect our, our need. And then um, what did I say boundary was in the realm or like something else was, what did I say at the time? It was that consent is in the realm of desire. I can't, but, okay. But yeah. I don't think, I don't think it was like boundaries are in the realm of something else. else. It's okay. just like, yeah, like you don't consent to, you know, like I don't want to be touched on my neck, let's say. Like you don't get to like consent or not consent to that. Like if, if you can't agree to that or can't respect that boundary, then we're not going to engage in certain kinds of touch or intimacy or whatever. Yeah. And obviously this is like a super semantic thing. Cause like, like so many things. And I think so many places where miscommunication happens is mm-hmm. when like one word can be used in many different ways. I've never looked up the etymology of consent. Have you? Yeah. It means to feel together. Oh, I love that. Then yeah. Because we don't feel somebody's boundaries together. Somebody feels their own boundary. They set the boundary. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else 
gets to participate it in it or, you know, support that boundary or not, but it's not something you feel and flesh out together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that was a really great insight and very important. I mean, and this, the semantics around consent are very subtle and complicated and nuanced and come up a lot. Um, I think, you know, there's a way that like, I don't, I try not to conflate consent and permission. And like, that's important to me, but you know, other people are using the word consent as permission all the time. Mm. Um, Also the language around like giving and getting consent doesn't really Mm. sit well with me. I don't like to think of it as a thing that happens in one moment of time. Um, But you know, I also come to this with like a philosophy background. So I love getting into the semantics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess I'm curious how your relationship with consent has changed maybe just over the last few years um, or maybe even just like throughout our friendship. Hmm, What a nice conversation or question. Well, I think one way is that I'm a bigger advocate of your work. I was at some place place today where my teacher was talking about fries, like plant. And I was like, not enthusiastic. (laughs) It doesn't have to be enthusiastic. Um, mm -hmm. And well, enthusiasm is another one that is like sort of a semantic argument, but I've really just gotten kind of tired of the conversation around enthusiasm. Like I was listening to a podcast recently and it just, I'm hearing so much of like uh, an attempt to redefine the word enthusiasm so that it can encompass Mm -hmm. a wider range of feelings. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why don't we just use other words for other feelings? Mm -hmm. You know, like when I first learned about um enthusiasm i mean you know on the surface it seems great and it's like a good um like emily nagoski says it's like a good gold standard it's like a good foundational basis um but uh i went to um the cuddle sanctuary jean Franzblau, who founded the cuddle sanctuary in venice LA, um, trained with me to be an intimacy coordinator and she invited me to a cuddle, uh, social. And when we were doing the orientation, she had someone demonstrate with her how like, um, when, when you say like, can I hug you? Let's say for example, and someone pauses and thinks about it and says, I think I'd like that, that like, that's what we're looking for. Like, mm-hmm. that's a good sign. Um, but even then, I think there was kind of this um, goal of like incorporating that kind of reaction into the umbrella of enthusiasm. And so for a long time, I was te- when I was teaching fries, I was like, enthusiasm can also look like a pause and an inhale and like a, yes, I think I'd like to. And then eventually I was like, that's not what people think of when they think of, when they hear the word enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. you know, like when people hear enthusiasm, they, 
they envision like a fuck yes, like I'm 100% sure. And that's just not normally what's going on. Like truly most of the time, mm-hmm. you know, like like a hundred percent of you is often not on board for any number of reasons. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know what I will say though? I generally when I'm being intimate, I do want enthusiasm. Like I'm not interested in doing things where there's not a fuck yes. Um, which has been interesting sometimes because when I've heard you, you know, because you've talked about this, but like, I'm willing to try that. I'm willing to explore Mm -hmm. that. And, and I think I often, huh? Huh. Oh, this is giving me thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, this is stuff that you've already said, but like if someone has never done something before, then they may, you can't be enthusiastic about it because you're just going to explore it or try it out. Yeah. And I think the clicks that are coming for me are that, how do I articulate this? Even when we're learning together, I want it to be really exciting. I want it to feel mm-hmm. really exciting. Um I really like when someone asks me to do something really specific, but when it's not my desire in that moment, even if I really want to do it for them because they've said that this would make them feel good, Mm -hmm. like I'm not emoting what I would consider enthusiasm. Yeah. 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 I think there's also instances I don't know like I'm remembering a time when I woke up in the middle of the night and like my partner was next to me and like we started making out and like you know kind of deciding whether or not to like go back to sleep or have sex and it was not a 100% fuck yes you know I was like <laughs> I know that I'll enjoy that, but I also would really enjoy going back to sleep. (laughs) You know, and like that was not a non-consensual experience. It was just kind of like I am horny and and turned on and it's two in the morning. Mm -hmm. So, okay, like that doesn't mean that consent didn't take place, you know? Yeah. Anyway, back to the original question. I was yeah. asking, yeah, like how your relationship to consent has, has changed. That, yeah, that just yeah. That journey has looked like for you. I think for me, the trajectory has looked like, um, generally speaking, I think the journey has looked like feeling l- like I was, or not necessarily feeling like anything, but like making choices, making decisions, something or other. Um, then beginning to understand all the kind of like systems and conditioning that was at play mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. getting really angry, outraged, all types of different feelings about that and experiencing a sense of not having access to agency or, or true consent or something like that. And then coming out somewhere on the other end where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of things happening. And I still get to choose, like, being back in my own body and I think having more spaciousness of thought around 
even when there are maybe like parameters or conditions that restrict the quality or type of decisions that I get to make, finding ways actually to still feel rooted and centered in I am choosing to do this. And maybe that'll change again. Like I think it's like, I think the biggest thing I guess is that there's a bit of spaciousness and fluidity in all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a big shift in my understanding of consent as well. Um, Like I don't, I don't really believe in like a hundred percent. I don't think that you can ever know with a hundred percent certainty because as you said, like there are societal factors at play. There are memories, there are past experiences, there's like embodied sensations that you don't even know where they came from. You know, like I think, um, and so it's kind of relinquishing this grasp on like, I have to know for sure. And allowing myself to say like, I'd like to try that. And I might decide I don't like it. Um, or, uh, or like knowing that I want to see how I feel in a situation, mm-hmm. even if like the situation itself isn't something that I'm sure that I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like letting go of that idea of like knowing for sure. And I mean, and there, there's a binary there, there, you know, this idea of like, you're, you either consent or you don't. And thinking about, you know, I, I know a little bit about like parts theory. I, it's not my area of expertise, but it's a really helpful tool. What I do know about it in this particular concept of like, there's always going to be a part of me at least one part of me that's not sure, that's nervous, that's scared, that's hesitant, that maybe even like just fully does not want to, but other parts of me that are like, you know, let's grow, let's push our limits, let's expand, let's um, see if this is something that perhaps I have some incorrect ideas about or, you know, whatever it is. Um, And I'm talking like in sexual situations and beyond. Um, so yeah, I think it, it also ties into me in, for me to this idea of, um, perfectionism and consent. I was just doing a little bit of reading and writing on that before we hopped on this call. Um, because there's, I think when, whenever I catch myself trying to do something perfectly, or like to do it right, I am usually like way, I'm, I'm often like very detached from how I feel in that moment. So mm. I think coming, like whenever I'm feeling that impulse of like, well, what's the right way to do this? And you've helped me with this a lot. When I've asked you like, what is the right way to do this or handle this situation or something? And my therapist has also been really amazing about this. Like the question that you always bring it back to is like, well, what do you believe? Or like, what's the right way for you to do it? Because you can't do it right for everybody. There's no one way that everyone would agree is the right way to do anything. Um, so yeah, that idea of like knowing with a hundred percent certainty or giving someone else a hundred percent of the space to say no or make a choice. Like you just, can't ever know that you're doing something 100 percent 
Yeah. It makes me think about like, you know, and we've both been in those shoes Mm -hmm. and support of each other. And a lot of, particularly when, I mean, for us, we're facilitators, we're practitioners, we're holding space. And so there's ways in which, um, you know, NVC, the principle of nonviolent communication is this idea that everybody has needs and, um, and that everybody has the capacity to speak their needs to mm-hmm. right into space in order to get those needs met, which is just not true because for so many different, a variety of reasons, people can't and um, have a hard time knowing them. And this these pieces of consent around at what point do I make an offer or make an ask um, and just trust that you know you know how to respond to it and that I don't need to, um, where are the, the blurry lines of like creating a space in relational dynamic that is genuinely consent oriented. And at what point am I crossing over into imagining that there are limitations on your agency and having to caretake for you? That's a huge one that I, I remember talking about this maybe a year and a half ago or so with a friend, um, because I think there's often a um, maybe an idea of like I have to always make sure that I'm giving as much space as I possibly can for someone to say no, and um, that's great. And I think that as you build relationships and as you build trust, you can trust that someone can say no to you or trust that someone knows themselves well enough to be able to say no or to offer something else, you know, an alternative. Um, And I think this particular thing also relates to this question of like, do you have to ask permission every time? Um, And I you know, I think there's like aspects of consent that are hard to like post about on an Instagram carousel (laughs) because it's so limited. Um, So, you know, I'm much more open to talking about them here. I don't think that you have to ask permission every time. I think that once you've established trust and you've established, um, you know, what's okay and in which situations and part of that trust is like, being confident in your ability to attune to the other person and also that they feel a sense that you are attuning to them. Um, And yeah, of course, like there's room for error, but I don't think that you have to ask permission to do the same thing every time. I think there's also ways that like certain agreements that people make, uh, make permission less and less necessary. Um, like I'm thinking about my relationship with like various practitioners, you know, I go to the acupuncturist and the agreement there is that you're going to stick needles in me. Mm -hmm. You don't have to ask if it's okay to stick needles in me. You can let me know like, okay, I'm going to start needling now. You know, you can prepare my nervous system for that. There's other ways that consent is being practiced in ongoing ways 
after and in addition to permission that eventually make permission less necessary, I'll say. This is reminding me of two things. <laughs> first, it's reminding me of the first time that I got choked out. Um, it was with someone that I, um, he didn't ask. There was zero verbal yeah, communication. Oh See, but that, I loved it. Mia, there was like 110 consent in the room. It was in his eyes. He's one of the safest lovers that I have had, period. And I've had so many healing experiences with him. And also this is like one of those dynamics that like, this particular one not, but like I've certainly had other dynamics where in reflection, I was like, oh, that wasn't okay. Mm. I'm grateful that the memory of this relationship um, hasn't had those ruptures and I get to celebrate it as that. But like the first time I got choked out, like he didn't verbally ask, but I saw it in his eyes and I felt safe. And I don't really know what I was communicating with my eyes. It must've been a yes, I guess, but um, I loved it. It was so much, it was, it was such a good time. Um, and, and I, well, okay, I have another story, but like, first I kind of just want to pause and check in if you want to talk about either experiences you've had where like people haven't asked or just how it was for you to hear me tell a story where I wasn't asked mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? Well, I think, you know, there's, um, and Sara who has, who runs comprehensive consent has talked about this a little bit that like, just because you liked something doesn't mean that like what happened was consensual, you know? And at the same time, I think in hearing your story, like just because something happened that wasn't totally consensual does not mean that anyone was violated or assaulted. And I might say um, there wasn't verbal consent, but there was a lot of nonverbal consent. Mm -hmm. um, and these, I think, this story almost feels like one of the places where there is really deep nuance and it won't fit on an Instagram mm -hmm. carousel because it was one unique incident. I've had other instances where someone has grabbed my neck without verbally asking if it was okay um, or without making good eye contact. And it definitely was not okay. And I immediately removed their hand. Um, so pieces there. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing it brought up was like, you know, when you were talking about your acupuncturist and I told you the story about when I went and got my first colonic, mm -hmm. <laughs> she did a whole bunch of things that were like terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, just like literally stuck the thing up my butt without prepping me, without oh, telling her what the experience was going to be like. And it was really, really interesting because quote, quote, I could have gotten up off the table and, sure. and left and like literally I could have and I chose not to because I really wanted this colonic and I didn't want to deal with the hassle of having to get up or like educate her or tell her I was like let's just get the water flowing get this shit out my butt mm -hmm. um but and I think it's interesting to think about the way those kinds of experiences were consent is not present and we know consent isn't present and we move forward anyways, how we store those in our bodies. Because mm -hmm. I think that is, yeah. 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 Also like reasons why people don't speak up in the moment. You know, I think I've like had enough people be like, why, why didn't you tell me that? Like, why did you, like, why didn't you come to me? 
instead of being like, am I creating channels in which people feel comfortable coming to me? Or am I creating channels so that people don't have to come to me if they're not comfortable? Um, I don't know. We don't have to go into that. I am just, that's been on my mind a lot lately. Um, mm -hmm. Like you didn't speak up on that table or whatever um, for a whole host of reasons. And I'm thinking about like someone then hearing that and being like, well, why didn't you say anything? It's like, well, I was in a very vulnerable position <laughs> with a tube on my butt. Mm -hmm. um, but something else in there that you said, oh yeah, I was thinking about, I once got um, an incredible massage from someone who was so amazing with consent stuff. And um, I mean, like truly one of the best body workers ever. And then she did some cupping on me and it was way too strong. And she asked me, you know, if it was okay. And in my head, I was like, well, she knows what she's doing. Mm. Like she, you know, she's the pro here. And it was like one of these moments of deferring to someone else's judgment against my better judgment where I was like, she's the knowledgeable, you know, she's the expert. And so like relinquishing a lot of control to her and I'm not, I was never upset with her about it, but I was kind of afterwards thinking about it myself and being like, man, I have all this like training and practice and standing up for myself and speaking up and saying no. And I completely gave up that control. And then, and then, you know, the bruises on my back afterwards were like, yeah, that was too strong. Like they were black, you know, sensitive to the touch. So it's just a constant process. And, you know, there was a lot of me that was totally on board. And then there were parts of me that were like, I think this is too much. But I did not say anything. <laughs> um well my brain could go in many 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 different directions but mm. i feel like we're in a good feels like a good place yeah. yeah um and you're always welcome to come back okay um is there anything that you want to plug oh when is this episode going to come out today mm, oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> I think the the two things, well, no, I think the one really big thing that I'll plug, on Saturday I'm starting a class on discerning trauma from intuition. Mm. And I'm so excited for this one because for so many different reasons, but I think that especially as, you know, we've been talking about so many different things related to consent, the most and best we can ever do is move from a place that's oriented and led by intuition. And it doesn't mean that we won't fuck up or mistakes won't happen, but we'll stay in an aligned path, whereas trauma will spin us out into the same loop over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's going to be a really dope class. And I think that's what I'll offer as the plug. And where can people find you? People can find me at my website, which is minachi.com. I really love that it's just my name. And then on Instagram at with.minachi. Cool. Um, minachi also has a wonderful newsletter that I recommend that everybody sign up for. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Minachi. Thanks, buddy. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye. Bye.
Some ways to support the show are to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It does a lot for us in the search engine optimization. If you can do that, optimization, whatever that word is. Um, Also, just sharing it on social media and with friends. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, Another way to support the show and also indulge in some luxurious items for yourself and your loved ones um, is to purchase things from Foria Wellness, which is a CBD wellness brand um, that I like a lot and who um, has sent me some stuff to try so I can speak to my experience with the ones that I have and really love um i took a bath with their bath salts yesterday it has cacao in it um that was honestly just so nice especially after getting my booster shot on saturday which really really wrecked me the link to that which will support the show will be in the show notes please use that link or it won't be tracked and you can use the code mia s 20 for 20 percent off the way that that works is that if you use the link that i've provided i get 10 percent back uh, of what you've purchased which is really helpful Um, I have some upcoming classes and stuff. I've got a five-week for um, people pleasers, people who identify as people pleasers. I also have a course coming up um, another five-week on the romantic comedy. So we'll look back at some 90s and early 2000s favorites and um, unpack like what we learned and what we wish we hadn't learned (laughs) about gender relationships and sex and consent. Um, I also have a two-day intensive on boundaries in your business that's really good for people who are self-employed. I have an intimacy choreography workshop coming up in person in Los Angeles in March, and I'm doing a train-the-trainer on the yes-to-no spectrum. So if you've heard me talk about that and you're interested in learning how to incorporate that into your life and teach it to other people, whether you're a therapist, a practitioner, a director, a teacher of any kind, um, that's a really cool new thing that I'm excited about. I'm also taking new one-on-one clients if you're interested in doing eight sessions with me privately. Um, As far as credits go, Amelie Rousseau did the music. You can find her on Instagram at Sophia Bolt and you can see her play music around Los Angeles. Um, She's also a podcast editor and she is looking to do more of that and more music for podcasts. And you can follow along with Consent Wizardry on Instagram at consent.wizardry. I would also really appreciate if you would join my newsletter so you can stay up to date with what's going on. Um, It's also, even if you think it's not right for you at this time, um, it really helps me and helps out the company if you receive an email with classes and offerings and then you forward it to people in your life who you think would really benefit and appreciate benefit from it and appreciate the content um there's lots of ways to help out you can also join the patreon for five dollars a month or subscribe on instagram for five dollars um this is a labor of love uh both the podcast and the instagram they are free to you and i don't get paid for them um 
you know, I put in a lot of work and a lot of care, uh, and I really appreciate any way that you can give back, whether that's financially or by rating, subscribing, and reviewing, and joining the newsletter, and spreading the word. Um, Whatever you can do to help is really much, much appreciated. Okay, thanks, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. It's raining and gloomy here, so um, maybe a hot chocolate is next on the agenda. Thank you.